founding a second startup is easy. You just have to register the company and go after any idea you want. Building a successful second startup is hard. Success requires the founder to be thoughtful, self-aware, and motivated. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, Sarah founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 40,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Stay well and stay brave. Are you expanding or launching a business in the Philippines? Ensuring your employees' good health is key to attracting and retaining top talent. That's where Hive Health comes in, especially for startups and small to medium-sized businesses. They specialize in providing top quality and hassle-free healthcare plans tailored to your workplace. Learn more at www.ourhivehealth.com. Over the past 30 years, there has been an explosion in the number and velocity and the funding for startups. However, the awkward reality is that only one out of 40 companies will succeed and have that large exit that people are thinking and dreaming about. That means that the vast majority of founders unfortunately have to wind down their companies, depart their companies, or put their company on autopilot. So in the middle of closing out their professional chapter in one startup, they often find themselves at an inflection point where they have decide themselves whether they want to become an employee of a large company, to become an employee of a technology company, an operator. Do they want to be an investor? Do they want to be a founder again? That last question about whether to be a founder again is a hard one. I understand because I had personally built two companies before. And so the second company very much had to take on that aspect of thinking about what were the lessons I learned from my first company and what I wanted to do differently for my second company. I've also been a mentor to many founders making this decision over the past 10 years. And over the past three years, I've been hosting the Phoenix Founders Retreat where we coach founders through this exact process. Feel free to check out www.bravesea.com if you're looking to join this Phoenix Founders Retreat or if you know someone who would benefit from it. So here are the three major patterns that I see in building a second company. So let's start with some numbers and research. A Harvard study found that first-time founders that are backed by serious venture capital funds have a 21% chance of succeeding with their company. Second-time founders who succeeded with their first company had a higher chance of succeeding in their next company at 30%. However, second-time founders who failed in their first company had a 22% chance of succeeding with their second company, which is effectively the same as a first-time founder. The reason why I share this research is because it's important for founders who are considering building a second company, understand that the odds of what you're doing has to be carefully managed. In other words, if you're planning to build a second company, you may not necessarily have better odds of building a successful company than your first company. This means that we have to be quite thoughtful about what are the patterns of how we choose to build a second company so as to maximize the chances of success at an individual level. So here are the three patterns I've observed for these startups. They are revenge startups, rebound startups, and rebirth startups. Revenge startups is an increasingly popular word that we're seeing in the news these days. My perspective is that revenge startups are primarily characterized by founders who are building another company that are often very much in direct or indirect competition with their previous company. Examples of this would be Parker Conrad, 
was ousted as the CEO of Zenefits, which was in HR benefits, B2B. He would go on to found Rippling, which is an all-in-one HR SaaS, which obviously drew a lot on his prior learnings at Zenefits, also effectively competed with Zenefits. Travis Kalanick was ousted from Uber by the board of directors and very shortly afterwards went on to launch Cloud Kitchens. Cloud Kitchens indirectly competes with Uber Eats and the other on-demand food delivery services by servicing restaurants and catering services. Another famous revenge startup founder is Adam Newman. He was a former founder and CEO of WeWork. Adam Newman brought WeWork to a valuation of $47 billion, but unfortunately, their attempt at an IPO went sideways and then valuation dropped to $8 billion and eventually became bankrupt. Adam Newman received a large exit package worth around $1 billion to leave the company. Shortly afterwards, he announced the formation of Flow, a residential real estate company focused on rentals. They received a $350 million investment check from Anderson Horowitz, 8016Z, making it instantly a unicorn even before it commenced operations in 2023. These high-profile founders and their sequel startups that indirectly compete with their original companies make for really interesting media coverage. Personally, I've also seen this in many startup founders. The commonality I see is that these ventures are often driven by a desire to prove oneself after setbacks. More importantly, there's a strong sense of having been wronged, and so they're not afraid to compete with their former company. Interestingly, they're also often building in a same vertical because they feel like the mission of what they had previously been doing was incomplete. The truth is, founders who are pursuing revenge startups are highly motivated and more importantly, they are also highly experienced about the industry. As a result, revenge founders are focused, highly motivated and very competitive. It's no surprise that many VCs are happy to support founders who basically go up to them and present and say, hey, this is what happened at the previous company. I've been wronged. And more importantly, I know how to take all of these lessons and crush the current field and my previous company. The only hindrance for many of these founders, of course, is that they may be covered by non-disclosure agreements, confidentiality clauses, non-solicit clauses that prevent them from poaching current employees of the previous company or current clients. In some jurisdictions and countries, the founders may also be covered by non-compete clause where they're not allowed to directly or indirectly compete with their former companies. We see a lot of revenge startups in the US because non-competes have been weakened and are generally not enforceable, especially in California. I've observed second pattern, which are rebound startups. These are ventures that are often quickly launched within a year after the exit from the previous company. Unlike revenge startups, they are not going after their previous company. My personal observation is that rebound founders generally have not fully processed the previous company's outcome. Credit goes to Charles Hudson for sharing more about his definition for rebound startup. The truth is, shutting down a company is very painful. It's not just painful in terms of the logistics of winding down a company. It's not just painful financially, but it's also painful emotionally because a founder often has had their identity intertwined with the startup. Many founders that I've coached often say that they have failed. I have to interject because I say that the startup has failed, but it doesn't mean that you as a person have failed. This is especially true in startups because we all know quantitatively, statistically, and professionally that the vast majority of startups are experiments and the most likely outcome for these experiments is failure. If a scientist did 100 experiments and 99 of them failed, you wouldn't call him a failure of a scientist. For a founder who's building their one experiment and that company is a failure, it doesn't mean that the founder is a failure. It just means that 
experiment was a failure. That's easier to say from outside and very hard to process from the inside. So for founders who are missing the activity of being entrepreneurial and they miss that identity of being a founder, they may often make the mistake of having a rebound startup. This is similar to having a rebound boyfriend or girlfriend where after the closure of one relationship, you just go with somebody else that you're not really interested in, but it's good enough until you realize that it's actually not the right fit for you. It's understandable why a founder would want to do a rebound startup because you're so used to being entrepreneurial, product market fit, you still have some employees who trust you, you still have some investors who trust you. So it feels like it's just autopilot, let's just build another company. And so there's often a very much a very intentional search for product market fit, another vertical, something else that's interesting. The truth is that a rebound founder will often find a startup idea that's actually pretty decent because they've learned the lessons in terms of product market fit and the logistics of building a new company can be done relatively swiftly and professionally. The key risk actually is that after about a year into the rebound startup, they kind of realize, you know what? I'm not really motivated about this company. The risk is that for a rebound founder building their second company, they discover that they're not motivated anymore because now that they have started to process more of their initial grief about winding down the first company, they realize that they kind of got into the second company earlier and faster than they had actually really wanted to get into. You can see many examples of this where, for example, a founder would say that they wound up one company, they're building something new, and then they go through multiple iterations of various startups that they are looking to build again. The third pattern are rebirth startups. Rebirth startups are startups that happen often one, two, three, four, five, seven, ten years after the first company. They are often characterized by a period of reflection, exploration after their exit and before they choose to become a founder again. For example, Instagram was founded in 2010 and was later sold in 2012. The two co-founders worked for Facebook all the way till 2018. They launched their new company in 2023. This meant that Instagram founders had about 10 years to reflect and explore what they wanted to do. And eventually they decided to build Artifact, which is a social experience for reading the news. From experience as a coach and observer, I've seen that these rebirth founders have a very holistic and integrated view about what they did right for the last company, what they did poorly and how they want to improve and more importantly are very much in touch about what the new life stage is in terms of time but also the new life stage in terms of motivations about what they want to explore and build. A rebirth startup is not necessarily characterized by time. You could have waited five years to build a new company and you may not necessarily have been thoughtful about what your past lessons were. That being said, it's very difficult for a founder to have done that reflection and self-growth and completed that within, say, 30 days of exiting their last company. What I mean is that all growth needs time. A plant requires days, months, years to grow up. It doesn't mean that it grows up well. However, it can't be rushed. Rebirth startup founders often incorporate the fact that they are in a new life stage and may also be open to explore new verticals, insights, technology trends, and geographies. An example would be Roger Egan, who founded Redmart, a popular online groceries delivery app. He was also previously a guest of the Brave podcast. The company was acquired by Lazada, and after several years of working with them, he went on to take a break. He also became a new parent and eventually after his experiences with the education system, decided to found a new education tech company called Nurture. So those are the three patterns, revenge, rebound, and rebirth. The truth is that Ryan Hoover, the founder of Product Hunt, wrote a great post about second-time founder anxiety. He shared that second-time founders face some unique challenges. There's a reputational pressure to build something significant 
the next time around because the first company was small, decent, whatever it is. The second one has to be bigger, better, stronger. It's understandable because founders are built to be entrepreneurial. They're built to be competitive and they are built to build the future. It's really important for founders to have healed from their past scars. This puts them in a position where they are proactive about their emotions and their motivations rather than reactive or being triggered by old scenarios that they have run across. This also means that second-time founders have the time and the focus to marshal and assemble their experience, network, credibility, and resources in a way that allows them to succeed in the second-time venture. So let's say you're a founder who is moving on from their first venture. What would be my advice to you? I would advise on focusing on the nuts and bolts of winding down this chapter. It's important to fail gracefully and to feel professionally. In order to succeed in the next chapter of your career, whether that's a new job or especially founding a second startup, you have to focus on your professional track record. The startup as an experiment must fail professionally. As I earlier said, the norm is for most startups to fail. So now that we know that, how would a scientist, how would a professional, how would an experienced founder wind down this chapter? Do your best, treat your investors, employees and customers as fairly as you can in this tough situation. Especially make sure to wind down the company in a professional and legally compliant way. As an investor, I've heard the news of founders who have embezzled or taken money out, and this totally destroys their ability to fundraise for their second venture in the future. Employers and future teammates will often conduct reference checks on employees and executives and co-founders of your last company. Future employers, employees, and teammates will often do reference checks on you and your past venture. The awkward reality is that it's not a pleasant situation, but you can do your best to be a professional CEO or co-founder throughout this entire process. As you go through this process of winding down a company, you also have to think about yourself and your own career. Most founders are not paid highly, and so it's unlikely for founders who are exploring a new professional chapter to have a large reserve of capital, and as a result, they tend to have a shorter runway to figure out the next step. I personally recommend most founders who are exploring a new chapter to apply for jobs, talk to recruiters, some ecosystems are friendlier than others in welcoming founders to be employees and operators and executives. I generally don't recommend founders to jump straight into another startup because they often turn out to be rebound startups. So they tend to be a series of startups, ideas that are not truly aligned with what the founder has come to understand or will come to understand about their personal strengths, weaknesses, and motivations. Personally, for myself, after my second company, I chose to join Venture Capital. This was a great experience because I got to see thousands of startups uh, across multiple geographies, across multiple industries that I personally didn't have exposure to. It also gave me a much better sense of both sides of the table, the founder perspective, but also the investor side. And it strengthened my ability to not only look at fundraising as a skill, also look at board management, business models, product market fit, economics, and other aspects that I didn't really get a chance to practice or simulate when I was a founder. As a result, I recommend most founders to actually explore being an operator or joining venture capital for a stage of time. Don't feel too bad. You're not selling out. In today's age, jobs are two to five years long. So whatever you're signing up for, do a good job at it. Do your best and know that every job is temporal. If you have a hunger to build a second company, then you can do it. Just do it in two years, three years, four years, five years. But really have the time to take care of yourself 
take care of your health and take care of your personal self-growth. At the end of the day, every startup is only as good as their co-founders and the co-founders can only be as good as you and you can only be as good as your understanding of yourself. In conclusion, founding a second startup is easy. You just have to register the company and go after any idea you want. Building a successful second startup is hard. Success requires the founder to be thoughtful, self-aware and motivated. I hope that you've learned from these three patterns, rebound, revenge and rebirth startups. Good luck and stay brave. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.